Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. Well, good evening, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, some of you have known me since I was probably about two feet tall, <laughs> and I haven't seen you in many years as I'm looking out on this audience today, this, this congregation. Um, and some of you I don't know that well, <laughs> which isn't true usually when you're standing up to preach. But it's good that we are coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ to hear the Word of God and to sit before Him today and be blessed. Uh, my wife and I, uh, Tucker mentioned, we serve in London, as many of you know, in the northwest part of the city for many years, uh, part of a, a partnership with local leaders trying to, to live out the gospel, to share the gospel um, in a largely South Asian community in a way that is understandable in that place so that people see that the good news of Jesus is for them no matter what background that they're from. And uh, uh, that's what we've been doing for many years. And I know many of you pray for us and we're grateful for that. Uh, we didn't even think we'd be able to come back this year. And we, uh, it wasn't until end of June that we managed to uh, make this plans for this trip. And I think that really ties in with the theme tonight for the, the sermon, which is uh, the glory that keeps us from giving up. And we are in the second, chap- uh, the second Corinthians chapter 4. And before we read that, I just wanted to reflect a little bit to give us a little bit of a, uh, a lens to, as to listen, to, to look through as we listen to the Scripture. Because Paul says twice, you're going to hear in this text, we do not lose heart. And I've reflected a lot on that in this last year. Because if you ask us, how's it been this last year? I'd probably ask you, how's it been this last year for you? <laughs> uh, it's been a challenge. And I know not everyone has experienced this world of COVID exactly the same. In London, we've had three long lockdowns, and that has been a challenge. And there has been many times where if, uh, if I hadn't lost heart, it felt like maybe I was flirting with that. And so I've come to this passage very personally tonight, uh, reflecting on why does Paul say we do not lose heart? This idea of losing heart is to lose one's motivation to continue on, to lose enthusiasm, to be discouraged. And this has been a year where that's something that I'm sure you could relate with. I can, certainly. Normal things that we would normally find to be uh, part of our work just feel a lot harder. And starting new things almost feels impossible. And so it's normal in those circumstances to often think about 
losing heart. And sometimes we might not actually give up, but we might functionally begin to lose heart. What does that look like? Well, we kind of begin to go through the motions. We're doing the same things, but our heart is growing harder. And we're beginning to shrink back internally from giving ourselves to the things that God has before us. And yet, we're going to hear in this text that Paul says that we, those of us who are followers of Jesus, the church of Jesus, we together who share this ministry of the Spirit, this calling to serve others by making the good news of the glory of Christ known to those who do not know Him, whether that's here in whatever capacity our day jobs are, or whether that's for Jen and I as cross-cultural missionaries in London, we do not lose heart. He says we're fragile containers, jars of clay. He says we're afflicted, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Both sides of those sets of phrases seem about the same to me. I don't know about you. What's the difference between being struck down but not destroyed? What's the difference between being perplexed but not driven to despair? And the difference is in not losing heart and seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So let's read this text. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day for this slight momentary 
affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Father, I pray that you would help us to see your glory today and be reminded that we may not lose heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's three aspects of glory here that help us not to lose heart. In verses 1 through 6, finding glory. In verses 7 through 16, flowing glory. And in verses 17 and 18, future glory. Finding, flowing, and future. And we're going to move pretty quickly. quickly. There's, There's far too much to get into great detail. But first, finding glory in the face of Jesus. Why doesn't Paul Why don't we, if we know the Lord Jesus, why do not we lose heart when everything gets tougher? And we see that the answer comes very clearly in verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Followers of Jesus do not lose heart because we've found the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We are like those little lamps, those little reflector lamps that we put in our gardens. Not so much in London because they're solar powered and that doesn't work very well in the UK. But much better in Lancaster County. So these solar lamps, what do they do? They soak up the light from the sun and they just reflect that in the dark. And that's who we are. We don't have to generate glory. We don't have to generate the power to to keep on keeping on. We just look at Jesus. And as we look at Jesus, we look at the glory that He has that's in Him, we reflect that glory. So it doesn't matter if the circumstance that we're in gets darker and harder. It doesn't matter that a pandemic hits because even though we, f- we see that darkness and we feel it as very frail reflectors, very frail. I'm a lot frailer than I thought I ever was before. <laughs> Some of us know that much better than I do tonight. Sometimes maybe life is a lesson in learning much more how frail we we are than we think we are. But as we sense our frailness, as we see our fragility, we still see Jesus. And even in the midst of our fragility, He shines greater. And so, when our eyes have been opened to the glory of God as Paul's eyes were opened on the road to Damascus to the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Jesus says to him, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And the Spirit of God opens his eyes and he sees for the first time who Jesus is. His whole life is turned upside down. And he lays down the path that he was on, and he begins to make his life about reflecting the glory of Jesus. And as he he does that, he realizes that, you know what? He can serve all sorts of people. It says in verse 
verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. Paul was probably much more full of himself than he realized. But now he became full of Jesus. So we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So he can be serving amongst these people who were criticizing him. He can be serving in the midst of a pandemic. The circumstances can change. The opposition can change. The pain, can, the pain nozzle can turn up in his life. But none of those things are his Lord. And he's not trying to generate glory in the fa- before those people. He is serving Jesus, who has given him graciously all the glory you could ever want in the gospel. The longing to reflect glory is a powerful thing for every one of us. Look at the Olympic athletes. Isn't it amazing? I haven't, I've watched almost zero Olympics. I was in on, on holiday this week, this last week mostly, and we didn't have a television that had the Olympics. But last night I saw a little bit of it, uh, the 1500, and it was amazing, amazing. And as we look at these Olympic athletes and what they go through to achieve that moment of glory and perfection where they're the top at their sport and then they stand on that podium, it's, it's beautiful, isn't it? And, and we, even if we have no hope of ever being anything like that, we just like to sit and watch. You know, we're, we're made to love glory. We're made to see glory, to long, to reflect glory. And that's hardwired into us. God made us that way. He made us to want to reflect His glory, His perfection, His purity, His power, His justice, His majesty, His kingly authority and honor, and to find honor in simply reflecting the honor of the King and reflecting His glory back to Him so that He gets even more glory. That's the way we're designed. And and we see a bit of that in the Olympics, but then something goes wrong with God's design, doesn't it? Romans 1 tells us that we were not satisfied with being mere reflectors of the glory of God. We exchanged the glory of the immortal God and sought to manufacture and achieve our own glory independently of the God who created us. And that's where it all goes wrong. We can't just be reflectors, sort of totally dependent on this amazing God who created us We have to define and achieve our own glory apart from Him. And we do that in all sorts of ways. We might do that religiously. If I do my duty, if I accrue enough good karma, the glory of that will overcome my bad karma. And now God will acknowledge and accept me and I will achieve the glory I long for. And there's lots of ways that happened. And, you know, maybe that's what Paul was doing before he met Jesus in some way. But we also do it in ways that aren't particularly religious. We look at others and say, if I prove myself at work, if I prove myself at school, if I prove myself as a parent or as a child, if I prove myself in this activity or that activity, then I will achieve the glory in front of the audience, whichever audience it is that we care about, that I most care about, we will achieve glory and that they will acknowledge me and accept me and I'll have the glory that I long for. Do you see how close that is to being reflectors of God's glory? And yet it's so far. 
And we all have that brokenness in us that was passed to us from our first father, Adam. And you know, I, when I come back to this area, you know, since I haven't lived here really since I graduated from university, which was 25 years ago, <laughs> um, uh, my head goes back like a time warp to many years ago. And so I'm sitting in Manheim Township, and I, I have memories of playing baseball at Manheim Township. I played for Ephrata, just so we all are clear about that. Um, uh, and I can remember hitting a curveball there and being so excited. You know how hard it is to learn how to hit a curve? And all of a sudden, I could do it, you know? And, and, and when, when, we, when I played for Ephrata, we won the, the section championship for the first time in 35 years. And it was wonderful experiences. Lots of good in that. Lots of good in that. But you know what? You know, in, in the process of that, I, I began to go into the school library the morning after the games. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I'd see my name in this paper or that paper, and oh, that felt so good. And it was like a drug. <laughs> it was like a drug. I didn't say, God, thank you. You know, part of me said, God, thank you for that. But another part of me was like, oh, I need that to live. I've got to go generate some more glory tonight. But you know what? In the face of a pandemic, in the face of real life, that doesn't get us very far, does it? Our, our desire to, uh, to create and achieve our own glory and you know what? That doesn't work. I mean, think about these Olympic athletes. They work so hard, and then it doesn't go as they hoped. I think I read some, some of them couldn't even participate because of a negative COVID test or a positive COVID test. Can you imagine? Years and years. And how are they going to get through that? Well, four years will come again. You know, pat them on the back. Get them next time. That's tragic. And, you know, those, those high school baseball exploits, you know, they're, they're long forgotten. <laughs> Except in certain moments in my mind. <laughs> they're long forgotten. Some of the papers they were in don't even exist anymore. I was thinking of that Casting Crown song which says, um, I'm a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. And that's what, sooner or later, sooner or later, our own attempts to achieve glory, they, they begin to, to end up there, don't they? But that isn't the worst of it, brothers and sisters. What's the worst of it? It's not that we don't actually get the glory that we long for, but our attempt to achieve glory on our own terms separates us from the very glory that we're designed to reflect. Separates us from God and we're left blind and unable to see his glory, the only glory that can fulfill our longing for glory and prevent us from losing heart in the face of a very broken world. And in our blindness, we're cut off from God and from his glory, and we're perishing under his righteous wrath. But, says Paul, and this is where we're finding glory, it's not in ourselves, that's not the end of the story, is it? Because there was one man, one perfect man, the God-man Jesus, who stepped up to a podium that wasn't an Olympic podium, but it was the hill of the cross. And his gold medal 
was to suffer and die to pay for the guilt and the shame that we've accrued in our pursuit of glory independently of our Maker. And in doing this, He makes it possible. He he rescues us. And we are now, by faith, if we have come to accept and believe in Jesus, we are now able to be seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus through His death and His resurrection, and we take heart. Is that beautiful music to you today, brothers and sisters? Is that gospel something that will get you through, not just today or yesterday or the the day after, or have we forgotten that? And many times in this last year, I've had to, just to be very honest, that I forget the beauty of the glory there. And it shows me just how much I'm still trying to establish my own glory. And I have to turn again in repentance of faith to look back at the cross and look at Jesus and find the glory that's surely enough. Do you know this Jesus? Have you met him? Is his glory beautiful to you today? We find glory in the face of Jesus. So that's the first one. Now we're going to have to move very quickly because as we move on from to the next section, we, we, find, we find the glory in the face of Jesus, but when we realize that this glory is not meant to just stop with us, but to flow through us, as we see in verse 16, 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as the grace extends to more and more people, they may increase, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And this all sounds very, very good, doesn't it? Until we, we see the suffering that's involved in that flowing. Because as the glory of God flows through this, as the grace of God flows through us, as the gospel message flows through us to others, so that they can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, we see that that process is very painful to us. And we don't do pain very well. And I say that with great humility because many here are experiencing greater pain than I have ever experienced and may never experience. But we all, if we know Jesus and we are walking with him, if we are uh, caught up in this glorious process of seeing the glory of God come to us and then spread through us, we realize that that happens through our suffering and dying, as Paul says very clearly in verses 7 through 16. And we like to talk about in London a story by an American evangelist named Perry Bauer. And it's a a story about a boy who went fishing with his father. It's the worm on the hook story. A boy went fishing with his dad, and they were fishing maybe up here in Speedwell Forge or something. And and as they were fishing, the, the, the son wasn't catching any fish. And, and he says, Dad, how come I'm not catching fish? And, and, and so the, the father says, come on, reel in your line. So he reeled in the line and, and looked, looked at the hook, and there's no worm on the hook. And he says, son, where's your worm? And the son says to the dad, if the worm goes on the hook, the worm is going to die, Dad. And the father says to the son, son, I hate to say to you, but if the worm doesn't die, you're not going to catch any fish. And the reality is we would love to see 
a, a process of the glory of God spreading through us in such a way that it would be that we would be the person on the dock trying to find the best way to, to go fishing, the best way to tell the gospel to others, you know, the most efficient way for that to happen. But the reality is we're not the person on the dock, we're the worm on the hook, wriggling around. And as we wriggle around, in that, we are, people are going to see Jesus through us. His death is sufficient But he's not present except through his spirit working through us. And then they see through us, they see Jesus. And they see the death that he died for them. You know, that's something that I still find hard to reckon with. But you know what? Throughout history, brothers and sisters, the people that, that we work with in London, people who have come to know Jesus from other faith backgrounds, this is not news to them. This is normal. They're never, they never contemplated a, a situation where they could come to follow Jesus without it being at great cost. And still, and still, despite that, they look at the glory of God in the face of Jesus and they say, He's worth it. He's worth every ounce of the suffering that's going to come to me so that I can come and see that glory myself, they say, and so that my family around me can come to see the glory as well. And that, that, as we begin to see that, it helps us to not lose heart because there's great purpose in that. You know, suffering is the worst when it's pointless. But for the follower of Jesus who is suffering for the sake of seeing the gospel go forward, it's never pointless. There's always purpose in it. That thought alone, as Paul saw that, he could say, I will not lose heart. And even better, at the end of the hook, that's where Jesus is. So we never suffer alone apart from Jesus. You know, I I saw that in a very uh, specific way. I don't want to make light of this, but um, a few years ago, uh, on, on October 31st, I was doing a prayer walk and I finished that, and I was going to cycle home. And I turned right across some traffic, and I got hit by a car. And by God's grace, I walked away from it. Uh, my helmet was really, really damaged badly. And uh, uh, it, was, it was pretty nasty, but it was a miracle. So that night, or two nights later, I was in men's Bible study, telling all the guys you're never going to believe what happened. Well, they could because there was like, I, my side of my face was all scraped up. And uh, so they, they were like, what happened? And I got to tell them the story. Well, uh, it didn't seem like there was a lot of glory in that story. <laughs> but I was praising God because I was so thankful to be alive. And it was clearly a miracle. Well, the next day, a friend of mine from another faith background who doesn't know Jesus, he got hit by a car and his bike. I kid you not. The very next day. And a week later, he called me up and said, you know, can we meet and talk about this? And long story short, somehow, and, and, and we'd known this person for years, and uh, it, God had ordained me getting hit with a bike, him getting hit, being hit by a car, him getting hit by a car, and that was the moment when the penny dropped and he saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus. 
That's just a small example of how this happens. Well, finally, the last two verses, verses as we've seen about finding glory and the flowing glory that flows through us, the last two verses, let's read them again. For this slight and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are eternal. Well, we, we third aspect of not losing heart has to do with future glory. This is a tough one. In general, me at the center of this, us Americans are very impatient. We're brilliant at trying to cushion ourselves from suffering in the here and now. And we struggle with waiting and being patient. And, you know, for everyone, even if we're not American, it's very difficult to imagine a time where it won't be the life of Jesus in us along with the suffering, but it will just be the glory. Can you imagine that? None of us have experienced life that way yet. But one day, one day when Jesus returns, it will just be the glory. It will be his glory and us reflecting that glory and us feeling like we're totally okay with just being reflectors of that glory for all eternity. And that day is coming. And if we've tasted the glory of Jesus, we might not be able to fully see that but there's part of us that, that can taste that. Some of us, that is so much closer than others. But as we go along in this journey, we are learning more and more that that future glory will far outweigh the sufferings that we are experiencing now. That doesn't invalidate the pain. That doesn't mean the sacrifices that we're making right now for the sake of seeing the gospel throw through us. That doesn't say they're not real. It doesn't say, well, that world is real and this world isn't. No, it just says that one day, one day, all of these things will have a point and we'll see it and it will be only glory. Can you taste that? We've longed for the end of this pandemic when life will go back to normal. When the glory of the life we knew, when will the glory of the life that we knew return? Was it all that great before? What if the normal we long for doesn't doesn't measure up to our longing for glory? How will we not lose heart? We look to Jesus. We see his glory flowing through us so others can look to Jesus. And when we turn to the future that's coming, and we walk by faith. Brothers and sisters, let's lean into that. Father, thank you so much for what you give to us in our battle against losing heart. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see your glory in the face of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.